I'm one of the key leaders here and also a member of a hockey team that just smashed the season. Thank you. And Sue's as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's all you need to know about me right now. Um, so today is uh, it's week three in our four-week series where we've been looking at Elijah. Um, and I don't know if you've been here for these last two weeks. Um, if you haven't, I'd encourage you to um, have a catch-up of the talks online. But do have a read and get stuck into Elijah's story um, in the Bible, because there's a lot of really, really good stuff in there. And you can read it from uh, 1 Kings 17 in the Old Testament part of the Bible. Um, but actually, Elijah is mentioned um, throughout the Bible in a lot of sometimes unexpected places. So um, if you've got a quiet moment this afternoon, maybe have a Google and see where else you can find Elijah. Um, but last week, we looked at Elijah and the roller coaster. Um, we had to think about how God speaks, um, what that can look and feel like. Um, we looked at perseverance, how God uses us and our voice, and when it all gets a bit much. And today, uh, we're taking on the wilderness. Uh, and as we get into this, I'm going to throw out this verse. We've mentioned it the last uh, couple of weeks, but it's still relevant. It's still important. And it's the verse from James uh, 5, verse 17. And it says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Elijah isn't perfect. Uh, he's not a superhero. Uh, he's an amazing man of faith, uh, for sure. But at the same time, that's the important thing, at the same time, he's flawed and broken. He's a guy trying to follow God as best he can, just like us. And so my question for you is, um, what do you think of when you hear the word wilderness? It's not usually a word that conjures up um, feelings of joy and excitement and anticipation, is it? But there are a few times the wilderness plays key uh, key part in stories in the Bible. Um, so after miraculously escaping uh, slavery in Egypt, the Israelites spent 40 years wandering around the wilderness. Um, you can read that story in Exodus and the books that follow. Um, John the Baptist lived in the wilderness, pointing people to Jesus while eating locusts and honey. Uh, that's in Isaiah 40, also in John 1. And in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is described as being led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And there are loads of other examples in the Bible as well. And in our verses today, the wilderness is a place that Elijah ran to. And we're going to read from 1 Kings 19, um, right from the start of that chapter. So if you want to follow along in whatever form of Bible you have, um, the words will also be on the screen behind me. So this is uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. 
I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in all Israel all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Father God, um, will you speak to us this morning? Yeah, I pray that we will have um, open hearts and open minds. Um, yeah, Holy Spirit, will you fill this place? Will you fill us? Um, yeah, I pray that we will hear your voice today. Amen. So... Um, there are three things we're going to have a look at from these verses. We're going to look at wilderness, we're going to look at pilgrimage, and in each of those two things we're going to think about our response and God's response in and to those places. Um, and then we're going to finish with something to do with uh, holy ground. So wilderness. Wilderness is described as an uncultivated, uninhabited and inhospitable region. So Elijah was afraid. He was done in and he felt like he just couldn't do the thing that God was asking him to do anymore. So he headed to a place that probably reflected what he was feeling. And verses four to five, um, they're a bit of a hard read to be honest. Like we're told that Elijah prayed he would die. He tells God, I've had enough. And he lays down and closes his eyes. 
I think sometimes we play stuff like this down. Like, it's, it's uncomfortable. Like, people in the Bible shouldn't be saying things like this. They shouldn't be feeling things like that. So we tell ourselves maybe, oh, it's, it's just a, a figure of speech or something similar. And I think if we're honest, we, we can do the same in real life. We can put this on ourselves and on others. We say Christians shouldn't be questioning life or wrestling with suicidal thoughts. So we, we quickly throw out a Bible verse, we pray a quick prayer and we turn the other way. And it seems like we just, we just don't know how to talk about this well. And on the 15th of February, uh, Caroline Flack died by suicide. Uh, she was a TV presenter. Um, she'd been in the media a fair bit before her death. And she was 40 years old. I, I, I didn't know lots about her, um, but I'd seen her on Strictly and kind of seen her in the media recently. And like, it might be that because she's the same age as me, um, her death really hit me quite hard and I, I felt it quite deeply. And in 2018, there were 6,507 suicides in the UK, with the highest rate being between men aged 45 to 49. That's 17 or 18 people every single day in the UK. And like when someone is in a place that is like so dark, like feeling like there is no way out, that this is the only option. It's, it's so hard to know what to do with this. But like we've got to get better at talking about our mental health better at supporting each other, learning how to do community and life together, like actually doing that, not just in theory. And I think as a church, we need to take a lead in this because we say we have good news, like we say that we have hope and we do, right? And that's got to be true and that's got to make a difference even, or even especially, in the darkest place. Like, that, that's, that's got to be a thing, hasn't it? It's not easy, it's hard. But good news and hope, all this good Jesus stuff, that's got to be true, even in the darkest place. And Elijah, he rips his heart and his head open, and he lays it out before God. And this is the kind of relationship that God wants with us, like all of us, everyone here, everyone out there, raw, honest, and God doesn't want or need a filter. And God doesn't tell Elijah to buck his ideas up, to get a hold of himself or to just shake it off, crack on, get on with it, come on. Like he doesn't get frustrated or angry and God doesn't make Elijah feel guilty. Like he listens and he gets lovingly practical. Like God sends an angel to restore Elijah's physical body. 
Like God knows what Elijah needs. And in this case, it's as simple as something to eat and drink. And I, I just love the, the patience and care shown to Elijah. It says, he ate and drank and then lay down again. Like God's not in a rush. He's not worrying about the time it's going to take Elijah to get to Horeb. Or how if Elijah takes another nap, then it's really going to throw the next thousand years out of whack. Like God's not in a rush. Like the angel comes back, gives Elijah a nudge, points him towards some more food and drink, and says, for the journey is too much for you. And I think that's, I think that's pretty significant. Like the journey is too much for you. And maybe that's something that we need to hear today. It's too much for us, and that's okay. Because as Derek said earlier, we're not supposed to be making this journey, whatever that means and looks like for each one of us here, we're not supposed to be making the journey on our own. And 2 Corinthians 12, 19, quite well-known verses. Um, but in them, God says to Paul, who is another flawed and broken person, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And that's it, isn't it? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God meets Elijah exactly where he is at. He meets his real and immediate needs. And God gives Elijah time and space to rest, to recover, to get his physical strength back. But at the same time, he's also looking to move Elijah on. Like not to perfection, sortedness, having all the answers, not even straight out of the wilderness. Like with God, there's always a sense of purpose and movement in how he does life with us. He meets us exactly where we're at, doesn't ask for anything else. But he's looking to move us on to make the next part of the journey. And that's where this pilgrimage thing comes in. It's not really a pilgrimage. It's not a word we hear very often or use much these days. Um, but it simply means a journey. And it's often a journey to a place that has some like, personal or spiritual significance. Uh, verse 8 says that Elijah travelled 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And this place was massively significant. And if you uh, skip to nearer the start of the Bible to a book called Deuteronomy, um, chapter 4, um, verses 10 to 14, and we hear Moses talking to the Israelites. And he says, Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments. And I, how, I think this is actually really cool, and I get a little bit excited about this, because like, Elijah is lost, and he's desperate, and at the end of himself, so he he heads to Horeb, the place where God and his ancestors have done business in years gone by. 
It's the place where God has shown up and spoken, where significant things have happened. And in amongst the, the fog in Elijah's mind, he holds on to a faint glimmer of hope that maybe God will show up again. And our faith will always involve movement. Like we follow Jesus. Like that's not just a, a cute turn of phrase. Like we follow Jesus. Like we literally follow him. We get up close to him. We go where he goes. We get covered in the dust, kicked up by his sandals. We put one foot in front of the other and we move. And God's response to Elijah's journey to Horeb towards him is, I think, awesome. And it gives us another just like crazy insight into what God is like and how he wants to interact with us. In verse 9, God asks Elijah, full of compassion, grace, and genuine care, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I kind of, I imagine God asking me the same question, like, what, what are you doing here, Esther? And it gives me goosebumps a bit, to be honest, because there's something about, like, God saying your name that is just mind-blowing. But this question, it's, it's so personal, it's simple and deep and compassionate. And it's also an invitation. So in this question, God is saying, like, talk to me, Elijah. Like, let's have a conversation. And the mind-blowing thing is that that same invitation is it's there for us today. Like God is saying to each one of us here, talk to me. Ditch the filters. Like, let's chat. And what I love is, again, that Elijah grabs God's invitation and unleashes what has probably been buzzing round and round and round and round his head since he started to run from Jezebel's death threat. Like Elijah's like... I've done everything you've asked, God. Israel's a mess. Everyone is dead. It's just me left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Like basically, he's saying, it's hopeless. I'm on my own. Where are you, God? Where have you been? And to, to be honest, Elijah has lost a bit of perspective here. He spent a long time on his own, and the thoughts that started in his head have got bigger and bigger and more and more overwhelming. Like the reality is, Elijah wasn't the only one left because God drops in there in verse 18 that there are actually 7,000 other people who have stayed faithful to him. And that, that sounds like, oh, come on, Elijah, what are you doing? But I can, t I can totally relate to Elijah, and maybe you can too, that, that thing where, like, you know, I've got stuff in my head, and I assume that it's, it's just me struggling with this. It's just me worrying about that. It's just me asking those big life questions. So I, I keep it inside, and it just buzzes round and round and round and round my head, and it turns into something that it often it wasn't that in the first place. And I internally explode or 
sometimes externally even. And Patrick Regan says, uh, he says this in his book, Honesty Over Silence. Our struggles can often leave us feeling isolated, abandoned, and terrified, and totally alone. But the more I have opened up to others and told them about the things that are painful in my life, the more I have discovered just how many others are in the same boat. God's not asking us to do this life on our own. Like it's, it's just not how he wired us. Like we do it with him and we do it with each other. And this is why we have things like smaller groups that get together alongside what we do here on a Sunday morning. It's not easy to be vulnerable. But as I said earlier, we can do this better. And it will be good for us individually. It will be good for us as a church and for all the people that we get to do life with. I really believe there's something of this relationship that God offers us that we can model and live out and share. And we won't always get this right. We'll say the wrong thing. We'll hurt each other, mostly unintentionally. But the stakes are high. So we've, we've got to keep on with this. We've got to keep pursuing this. And so then God invites Elijah out of the cave he's holed up in. He invites him to stand on the mountain because he, that's God, is about to show up. That's everything Elijah wants, isn't it? So what does Elijah do? He stays put. He stays inside the cave. And there's wind. There's an earthquake. And there's fire. And Elijah stays put. And confusingly, God's not in those big, obvious displays of awesomeness. But then, then we have the gentle whisper. And I, I love this bit. Elijah hears that. He hears the gentle whisper. He covers his face and he edges out of the cave. And it's really interesting, isn't it, how God speaks like sometimes he speaks loud, and sometimes he speaks in a whisper, and everything else in between. Like there are no hard and fast rules. One way isn't better than the other. And what I think we see here is God's unwavering love and understanding of where Elijah is at. Like Elijah is vulnerable. Like he can't face the big show anymore. Like, he's not the guy calling down fire on Mount Carmel right now. Like, he can't face the big show, but a gentle whisper, like that, he can just about take on. So that's how God speaks. Like, he meets us exactly where we're at, and he speaks in a way that works for us in that moment. Because God wants a talking, real-life relationship with us more than anything. And then in verses 13 to 14, we have an exact repetition of the previous conversation between God and Elijah. God's patience is immense, isn't it? 
I'd definitely be rolling my eyes at the very least at this point here. But God hears Elijah and he gives him the space to speak. And then, as we saw back in the wilderness, God gently but firmly, in that parent-like way, moves Elijah on. In verse 15, God says, Go back the way you came. We still have stuff to do together. And to, to finish, um, I want to say something about holy ground. Like our cult, the culture that we live in today, it's all about getting somewhere. Like we need to have a goal, an ambition, uh, a dream to aim for. None of those things are bad. Um, but when we get there, what, wherever or whatever there is for each of us, that's when everything's finally going to be okay. And of course, like we want to get there as quickly and easily as possible. Like if there's a shortcut, then yeah, I'll snap that right up. So when we think about the wilderness, like for us, it feels like a curse. It feels like a place that we need to avoid at all costs. And if we find ourselves there, it's a place that we need to get out as quickly as possible. And I think sometimes we're, like, we're so, so busy and so desperate trying to look for a quick way out that we miss God and all the amazing and transformative good stuff that he wants to do in us, with us, through us, in that place. And Rachel Held Evans, she says in her book, Inspired, some of scripture's most momentous events occur not at the start of the journey, not at the destination, but in between, in the wilderness. And that's why I say this in-between, this wilderness space is holy. It's like the Saturday in the middle of Easter weekend. Like it, is, it is hard. I feel like I've been in this wilderness space for 18 months, nearly two years. Like it's hard, but it's holy. And I just, I just want to encourage you, if you feel like you're in that place, that it is holy ground. Like God might be silent, or he might be speaking in a barely audible whisper, but he's there, and it's holy ground. And then as we end and have a think about how we might respond to God in all this, I'm going to read some verses um, these are from Psalm 84. Um, these have been pretty, pretty huge verses for me over the summer, so I might get a little bit of mosh. Um, this is Psalm 84, verses 5 to 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. These verses are a beautiful and amazing picture because 
the Valley of Baca is often translated to Valley of Tears and Weeping. And this is because the trees that grew in that valley, um, they, these trees, they keep producing sap. So the trees look like they're crying. And these trees, they only grow in dry places. And there's no question here as to whether we will pass through the dry wilderness type places. Like, we will. It's, it's a given. But when we do, if we're all in on God, if, we've, if our hearts are dead set on following Jesus, like we will see and be a part of transformation as we make the journey. Not when we get to the end of it, as we make the journey, as we pass through that valley, as we pass through the wilderness, it becomes a place of springs. The dry places will flow with water.